0: Hey, LifeKin, Roger here. So glad that you're joining us. I'm sorry if I sound a little off. I have seasonal allergies and they're hitting pretty hard today. But regardless, I'm glad that you're here. Whether you're a first-time visitor or a brand new one, I want to remind you, like I always do and like I will in this message, actually, that you belong. You belong to God, so you belong to us. And we really want to get you plugged in. So please fill out a Connect card so we can reach out, help you do that. Sorry if you hear all those sirens in the background. We live right on the corner uh, of uh, Alarm Central, so sorry about that. But also, I want to remind you that our church is devoted to the mission of God for our church, particularly through our 10-year vision. And if you want to support that, one of the ways you can do that is by financially giving to support that vision. So I would encourage you to take this opportunity to do so via the Church Center app or um, online. Today we are kicking off a brand new series called uh, Out of Hiding. It's all about shame, which is something that we've been hearing people in our community talk about a lot lately. So I'm actually kicking off this series, so you hear a message from me, and then I will catch up with you in a minute. I, I do want to encourage you, at the end of this message, you will hear uh, an activity and worship, a, a experience that I ask everyone to participate in to help them encounter God. I want to encourage you, if you're driving, um, to maybe hold off on this one and wait to your home so that you can participate in that activity. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen, and I will catch up with you in a minute.
1: men you can go ahead and take a seat i'm so glad that you are with us whether you're a first-time visitor you've been with us for a little bit Uh, my name is roger one of the directors here i want to encourage you that here at life canton we believe that you belong to god so you belong to us and we really want to get you plugged into this community so please fill out a connect card and stop by the welcome desk on your way out there's a bunch of very friendly people who would love to meet you maybe answer any questions you may have So I am kicking us off today in a brand new series that we're calling Out of Hiding. And for those of you who have been around a little bit, one thing you might have noticed, in the past year, we've had a lot of new faces, um, a lot of first-time visitors, or even people who are coming back to the church after a period of absence. And as we've begun to have conversations and ask questions of those individuals about what caused them to either stay away from church in the first place or to take a bit of time away from church— Something that keeps coming up is shame. This idea that there is uh, some kind of shame or shameful thing that is preventing them from coming into a church community or maybe even being engaged in a church community. You know, there's, there's this not-so-great joke about how someone should be afraid or could be afraid of coming to church and bursting into flames. And I found that, that for some of you, that's not a joke. For some of you, like that's your experience. That shame is so intense for you, it has caused you to fear or be hesitant to come into this space and to join this community. So we were talking about it and decided that that should be something that we should address. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. I wonder if, if some of you, as I think about the songs we sang this morning, I wonder if some of you... We're singing that song, Come to the Altar, which I love. And it's all about coming into the presence of God, bringing yourself into the presence of God. And I wonder if there's some of you who are maybe in a place where that's not so easy to do, in a place that, where that's a really hard thing to do. And through this series, we're going to talk about uh, shame and how to leave it behind or how to move out of it. And I'm going to start us today by beginning that conversation. So I'm, I'm excited uh, to discuss that with you today. where we're going to start our time is in the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is an amazing book. It's huge, 50 chapters, a lot of different genres and stories. And a lot of those stories are really fundamental and important to what we believe. But the first three stories, I would say, are important not just to Genesis, but to all of the story of Scripture, the narrative of the Bible. And the first two stories we have, Genesis 1 and 2, are about God creating and ordering the earth, and what's really cool about these stories is they're stories that God is the main character. In many ways, he's the actor. He is blessing and creating and breathing into things and, and naming things and saying that things are very good. And he's so intricately and intimately involved in the creation. But then we get to chapter 3, and, and there's a shift that I want us to notice. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Uh, We're going to have it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible, though, I would encourage you to spend time in these stories that we talk about, not just when you're hearing them on the podcast or listening to them now, but all throughout your week. So let us know if you need a Bible, because we would love to put one in your hands so that you can study these stories all throughout the week. So Genesis 3, verse 1 starts here. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the first thing I want you to notice as we begin this story is the question that Pastor Jared asked at the very beginning of the service. Where is God? See, there's this weird shift from these two stories in Genesis 1 and 2 that are all about God intimately involved in his creation, very hands-on and present. And then we step into chapter 3, It almost appears like God is away, that he has disappeared. And now the story, for the first time, is told from the perspective of creation. And left to their own devices, uh, humanity is going to start to make some choices that are going to have serious ramifications for the rest of history. So in this moment when God appears to be away, what's the first thing that happens? Well, the serpent slithers into the scene. Later scripture teaches us that the serpent was probably Satan. And we know that Satan's job is to lie, kill, destroy, steal. The, did you know that the, the, the name, the Satan, is actually not a proper name, it's a title. And it translates to the adversary, because that is what Satan is. He is the opponent of God, and by extension, the opponent of humanity, so Satan's there and he sees his first opening, his first opportunity to get into creation and to cause some confusion, to cause some chaos, to, to sow some fear. And what is his first attack? What is the first thing that he goes after? Well, we we'll see him engage in this conversation with Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That sounds pretty kind of mythical, right? Right? That's kind of a crazy title. Almost sounds like something maybe out of a fable or a storybook. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a lot of debate about what this tree is, what, what it means. I want us to focus on what I think and what many have said it represents. And what it represents is life without God. Up to this point, humanity had lived in complete trust, in complete, complete obedience, in complete peace with their Creator. They had never questioned what he told them. And one of the things that he told them is, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And this tree represents the option for humanity to live life by themselves, to to live life without God, to say that we don't need you and we're going to do this our way. So of course this is the first thing that Satan attacks. It's a perfect opportunity for him to really Do what he does best. For those of us who have been following Christ and and aware of spiritual things long enough, we're familiar with spiritual warfare. We know that this is often how Satan operates. So we're not surprised by his behavior. That doesn't come as a shock to us. What maybe is more surprising is how Eve responds to Satan. Because at first glance, it appears as if Eve is just reciting back what God told her. But the reality is, you begin to look at the words she uses, you're going to realize something. Something that happens to Eve and something that happens to so many of us. When God is absent, we forget. The more that you look at Eve's words, the more you realize that they're a little off. They're not quite right. Right? At the beginning, she says that, uh, God said we could eat from any tree. She she forgets the word freely. God said they could freely eat from any tree. And that word is an emphasis of God's love and his provision. She also says, God said we can't touch it or we die. But that's not something God said. God only talked about eating from it. And there's this other thing that she does that can seem really insignificant, but I think is actually really important. God warned them of the consequences. And when he did, he said, you will surely die if you eat from this tree tree. And when Eve feeds that back to the servant, she just says, we will die. It seems minor, but what she's doing is forgetting or lessening the severity of God's warning. And that is a really big deal. What is happening to humanity, what is happening to Eve is as they experience this absence absence from God, as they begin to feel what appears to be distance from God, they begin to forget his face. They begin to forget what he told them, how he treated them, how he behaved. They begin to forget his character. And I think a lot of us understand understand this, and I only bring this up to help illustrate, not to cause any pain, but for some of us, we lost a loved one, and we lost a loved one quite a while ago. And we understand the reality that as time goes on, we do begin to forget things. Maybe we begin to forget uh, the sound of their voice. Or the things that they used to say to us. Maybe we begin to forget their mannerisms or or the way they behaved. And for those of us who have lived without someone that we love for a really, really long time, you know that we do begin to forget features and faces. So we understand that humanity tends to default to forgetfulness the longer that we are away from somebody, because this can happen in a relationship too, with a friend that you haven't seen for five or ten years. We understand this, and this is what is happening to Eve as she is forgetting who God is. The issue is that this cycle of forgetfulness is going to cause some pretty big problems throughout the rest of the story. So let's pick it back up in verse 6. This is what happens next. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Again, I want to return to that question, where is God? Why is he not stepping in to stop this? Why doesn't he reach out a a divine hand and slap the fruit out of Eve's hand? (laughs) Why doesn't he, he shout out, don't do this? Why doesn't he, he even send an angel to maybe remind Adam and Eve what he had told them? We see him do that all through the rest of Scripture, send angels with messages. Why doesn't he do that here? And while God is absent, while God feels distant from Adam and Eve, not only do they begin to forget, but they begin to experience shame. And one of the things I want to do today is establish what shame is. We're going to be talking about that word a lot through this series, so I think it would be really helpful for us to have a working de- definition that we'll have carry throughout the rest of this uh, series. So I'm going to say this. We're going to say that shame is the feeling that something is wrong with who I am. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe you feel self-conscious about the way you talk. Maybe you feel shame about a particular Behavior or character trait that you have, but it's this feeling that something is wrong, something is off with something about yourself. That is what shame is. And what's happening to Adam and Eve is not only are they experiencing shame, but they're getting stuck in this cycle. And I made a chart to kind of help us understand what is happening to them in these scriptures, because I think this is also an illustration of what happens when we experience shame. And this is kind of the cycle they go through, they feel absence. Maybe questions about where God is. And then they begin to feel distant. Feel like he's not only not there, but that he is far away. And then they begin to forget. They begin to forget God's face and and God's behaviors and what God said to them. And then they begin to feel shame as they not only forget what God said, but who they are. And the issue is, we're going to see in a little bit how they're going to get so stuck in this cycle that they're just going to keep repeating it over and over and over again. Here's something that's really interesting about the scripture that we just read Adam and Eve have this almost uh, revelatory moment where they look down and they realize, we're naked. The interesting thing is, the implication is they've been naked the whole time. Naked was their way of life, naked was how they lived. And up until this point, that had never been an issue. It had never caused them to have doubts or to experience shame or even to realize that they were naked. So what changed? What occurred between naked being normal and a natural part of their existence and naked being something that caused them shame and to feel wrongness about themselves? I would say that what happened is that they felt the absence of God and they began to forget When God is distant, we feel shame. That is the space where it often occurs. I want to point out something. Often, we experience shame only when we experience absence. And we see this in Genesis because in the first two chapters what God says when he sees humanity, when he sees this creation, this thing he has made that he has breathed into and formed with his own hands, he says it's very good. He says human beings are very good. And this is the only story, the only narrative we have about ourselves until we feel like God is distant. And in that space, things go from very good to, oh no, we're naked and we're ashamed. And in that nakedness, they begin to cover themselves. They try to cover their shame. They try to cover their bodies. Some of you also understand that. You understand what it feels like to walk by a mirror and to see yourself and to feel shame. To have issues and to feel wrongness about the way you look. That's a day-to-day reality for some of you. And I would say that that only occurs when we can no longer remember the voice of God. I think this also teaches us something about our identity. Our identity is rooted in God's location. When God is close, when God is with us, we remember what he says about us. It's hard to see the shame. It's hard to feel those feelings in the face of God's love for us. But when God is, feels far away, then we begin to forget and we feel that shame. It all has to do with where God's proximity is in relation to our lives. And I would also say that when we feel shame, it doesn't just disconnect us from the idea of God, from our beliefs about God, it also disconnects us relationally from God. It it disconnects us from the relationship that sustains us with our Father. This is what happens to Adam and Eve. So what's going to happen when they encounter God again, when God shows back up, and they're so rooted in this shame? In verse 8, this is what happens. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man... Where are you? So this is what happens when they are stuck in their shame and God approaches. They actually create more distance from God. Right? They started by feeling this absence, feeling this far awayness, this distance with God that caused them to fall into forgetfulness and then shame. And then God shows back up and they hide. They take another step back farther from God. They don't close the distance between them and God, they actually increase it. And that starts the cycle of shame all over again, because now not only are they telling themselves that God is far, but they believe that God is far even when he is right in front of them. And then what does God say? Look at the question God asks. So I've been so focused on that question of, God, where are you? And I've done that intentionally because I think when we are in those moments of shame or when we're in any kind of uh, tragedy or crisis, that's usually the question we ask, right? Where is God? Why doesn't he step in? Why would he allow this to happen? Questions like that. But when Adam and Eve come face to face with God in their shame, he asks, where are you? where have you gone? What's the implication? The implication is that God wasn't the one who was absent. Adam and Eve were absent. As he calls them out of their hiding, he says, I I was here. Where were you? And one of the things that we learn about in Scripture is the size of our God, how big he truly is. He's he's not a, and I, (laughs) I had to ask some of the other people on staff uh, what this word is, because like, what's that thing with the operators and like the plugs and all the cords? Uh, God is not a soundboard or a switchboard, soundboard. See, I already (laughs) forgot it. Uh, God is not a soundboard. When you pray to God, you don't get a message about, please hold, the line is busy. You don't because God is big enough to hear all of our prayers at the same time. He can't not hear your prayer because he's listening to somebody else's, right? Right? God isn't unaware of what's happening in your life because he's just so focused on what is happening in the life of the person next to you. God is so big that scripture teaches us he can be in all places, at all times, to all people. He is, impo- amen, that's right, he is impossibly big. Bigger than we could possibly understand. And when Adam and Eve forget that, God reminds them, I was here the whole time. Where were you? Why did you not come to me? Why did you not run to me? Why are you hiding from me? God is always with you. God is always in proximity. Even if you don't feel it, you can't see it, or you don't understand it. And now you might have questions, and these are questions we often ask of Scripture, of God. is, Well, why did you do all of this? Why did you put that tree in the garden? Why did you test them like this? Were you angry? Were you ready to judge them and punish them? I want, I want to suggest that we think about this like a father or a mother uh, in relationship to their son. So for parents in the room, what kind of relationship do you want with your children? Do you want one where they only obey you out of fear? Do you want one where they're only around you when they have to be? Do you want one where they only say, I love you when you say it first? Or do you want a relationship with your children where they say, I love you unprompted? Where they choose to spend time with you? Where they listen to you not out of fear or or anger, but out of respect and love and obedience? And for students and, and children in the room, let me turn that question around on you. When you do something wrong, and you know you did something wrong, and you approach your parents, what approach usually works best? Is it the one where you're arguing and fighting and screaming and angry? Or the one where you come with remorse and asking for forgiveness and wanting to have a dialogue about what happened and how things can be different next time? I would guess for most of you it's that second that second approach. So I, I want you to see this: this test, this moment is not a God waiting to punish, a God who is angry, a God who's coming to say, oh look, you messed up like I knew you would. It's a God who is a father, who is providing an opportunity for his children to choose him. That is the kind of relationship that we all want with our children and the kind that God also wants with us. An opportunity for a loving father to be chosen by his children. Now, students, I talked about that approach, right? The way that you approach your, your parents when you make a mistake. So let's see, how how do Adam and Eve approach God now that they know they have made a mistake? Now that he has called them out of their shame, out of their hiding, how do they respond? Verse 10, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And we are going to stop there. (laughs) Not for any reason, just because I thought it was funny. Uh, (laughs) But look at the approach that they have, right? I only got into a little bit, but they approach, God approaches, calls them out of hiding. They come up to God, and instead of approaching with uh, forgiveness, humility, uh, a discussion about what can be different next time, they come up, and Adam says, she did it! And then the story keeps on going, and Eve says, the serpent did it. And it's this, this moment where they're so deeply rooted in their shame that they can't even approach their loving father. They can only make excuses and feel shame and get stuck in that cycle. That's where we find Adam and Eve. But notice, uh, go back one for me. One more slide for me, good. Notice what God asked them. He says, who told you that you were naked? Remember what we said, naked was their way of life. It wasn't until God was gone until that changed. And God says, who told you? The implication being, I didn't tell you that. Do you see what God's doing? He's trying to correct their memory. They're so stuck and rooted in their shame that they're looking at themselves a particular way because they've forgotten who God is and they've forgotten who they are. And God is saying, stop, I didn't tell you that. That wasn't from me. That wasn't my voice. He's trying to help them remember. In the next section of these verses, God goes into consequences. The reality is, much like a loving father or mother in a child, when your child does something wrong, there are consequences. There is correction. It's no different with God. And the issue is that the, the mistake that Adam and Eve made was to break creation to cause it in a way that God never intended for it to function, to introduce sin and brokenness and pain and sorrow and death into the world because of their decisions. So the consequences are pretty severe. But I I don't want to spend time reading those consequences today, not because they're not important or they're not true, but my fear is that as I even said that, some of you are so stuck in your shame that all you hear is more shame. All you can see is a father who is angry with you, who is looking to punish you. So I, I don't want us to spend time there today because the series is about how to put down our shame and how to come out of hiding and how to move past our shame. So instead, I, I want to read one last verse. So God gives them consequences. He removes them from the garden, which removes them from their source to eternal life. But he does one thing. That's not his last interaction with his children is not get out. There's something else. I'll we'll go verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. They covered themselves in shame. God clothed them in love. Think about the coverings they originally made for themselves. It's, it's, it's literally leaves and twigs and branches. That's probably not a really good cover of their shame in the first place. It's also not a protection against the elements. That's not going to do much in a rainstorm or in a blizzard. But look at what God provides them. Animal skins that are warm and safe that will protect them from the elements. Who here, uh, I compare it to this, thinking about this this morning, who here uh, has a weighted blanket in their house? Okay, two people. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> we got one in our house, and I would say that my wife loves it, but I'll, I'll be honest, I've used it once or twice. It's pretty nice. <laughs> But I compare it to, to that, a, a warm weighted blanket or a warm uh, cup of coffee or hot cocoa. But it's it's this moment where God is seeing them in their shame, seeing them in the the, the coverings that they made for themselves to hide their nakedness. And he's saying, no, I'm going to replace that. I'm going to cover that. I'm going to provide for you in your shame, because not because I'm an angry God, but because I'm a father who loves you. And wants you to experience that love that I have for you. So, the last act of God before his creation has to face their consequences is not to say to get out, but to provide for them and to love for them. And here's the other thing in the middle of those consequences, he tells them that he is going to provide for them for eternity because he talks about how there's someone coming who's going to defeat Satan, who's going to remove shame, who's going to remove pain and sorrow and death. And we know that the person is Jesus and that he did come to defeat the devil and to remove pain, shame, sorrow, and death. God showed that from the moment that they made a mistake, he was thinking about their provision and figuring out how to love them and care for them in their shame. Because that is the kind of God that we have. I want to show you this other graphic that I made. Because I think what God is doing is walking them through their shame and breaking them out of it. And um, I made this on a computer, so I apologize if you're viewing this online or on the screen. Uh, They're a little bright. But let me walk us through this. So they experienced God being absent, Him being away. He reminds them of His presence. He shows up and encounters them face to face. They feel like he's distant and far away, and God confronts them with the question of, where were you? Reminding them of his proximity, of his closeness, of the fact that he had been there all the time. And as they begin to forget, God helps them remember, says, who told you that? That's not me speaking, that's your shame. That's the devil speaking. For those of us who are familiar with spiritual warfare, we know that this is usually where Satan shows up, in those moments of forgetfulness to plant more lies and more half-truths in our heads. And finally, as he sees them in their shame, he gives them an encounter, an experience with his love to remove and to cover that shame. God doesn't just do this with Adam and Eve. He does this with us. When we say, where are you, God? He often shows up. Maybe in new ways that we haven't experienced before. And then he allows us to feel his presence, his proximity in a way that we can't ignore. And then he reminds us through scripture and through the people in our lives and through the Holy Spirit that these things that we believe are not true and did not come from him. And as we remember, we experience God's love in a new way that we can't ignore. And God doesn't do this just once every time that we get tempted to fall back into this cycle of shame God does this cycle. And I've called this cycle the reclaim cycle because here at Life can we have a vision of bearing Jesus' justice and love into our community. And this is one of the ways that we do the other part of that vision, which is reclaiming our identity, is by being set free from, removed from our shame. And because it rhymes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So... I'm going to challenge us to do something today. Um, and it's not a five-step program. It's not going to be a list of six bullet points for you to perform this week. It's going to be two words. I'm going to challenge us to encounter God. To come face to faith, face, or face to face, with our Father. With a father who loves you, with a father who is not standing above you ready to condemn you, but ready to wrap you in warm clothes and to embrace you. Some of you are so stuck and that seems so difficult. But I want this to be a moment where you begin to recognize that the things that are stopping you, that are keeping you from God are lies. Things that aren't true. Things that he never said. And I don't want you to do that uh, later in a couple hours when you go home or in the middle of your week. I want us to do that right now. So whether you're in this room or you're listening now or you're listening later, I'm going to encourage us to do something together. As Cassie and Corey come back up and lead us in worship, I want us to encounter God. And I want us to do that by beginning to recognize some of the lies that have been told to us. So in a moment, what we're going to do as we worship, there's a table down here and up in the balcony. If you're at home, grab uh, paper and pencil. But grab a note card and a pen, either from those tables or from around you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is identify your shame. Identify the things that you feel stuck in. The things that, that cause you to experience that wrongness. I want you to write them down. And then I'm going to ask you to ask yourself the question that God asked. Who told you that? I want you to write, Where did this come from? Did it come from the devil? Did it come from my shame? Did it come from the voice and the words of someone that I know who has a face that I can picture? Some of you are still going to be tempted to get stuck and you're going to, and you're going to be tempted to think that, God, well, God said this about me, and I'm going to challenge you to press through that, Because if you really face God, if you really come into His presence, you're going to realize He never said that. It's your shame talking. It's the enemy talking. It's someone talking who wasn't speaking for God. So write your shame and then write who told you that. And then I'm going to encourage you. Some of us are going to be tempted to to move past that moment really quick to say, like, here's my shame. I'm going to throw it out. I'm done with it. But I want to remind you that that shame will come back. So I want you to spend a moment with it. Don't do anything with that note card yet. Stay in this moment of recognizing the shame that is putting a barrier, creating distance between you and God. So we're going to spend a moment in worship as we do that. Let's worship together.
2: get emotional every time I hear that line you're almost home there's so much hope wrapped up in that phrase you're almost there and I don't know what you wrote on these cards what sources of shame you have or that line that was really hard to answer that question who told you that who told you these lies about you why did you believe that to hear this line. That's not true. And that's not what God told you. And you're almost home. I've never left you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've always been there. We need to release the lie. Release the sources of shame. Release the name or the source that told us these lies, that convinced us of these lies, to start that process, that reclamation process that Roger talked about, to reclaim our identity, not in these things, but in Jesus. What I want you to do right now is to get up physically out of your seats, if you are able, and to take these and throw them away in these jars here in the middle of the room or at the back, if you're in the balcony, there's a back table. And to begin this process, to come out of hiding, to no longer own this, the shame as your identity. That's not who you are. God wants to give you a new image, a new reminder of what he says about you. Because he is the one that removes our shame. He's the one that removes our guilt and our fear. And it's the reason why we can turn the corner and we can say that God's been with us this whole time. And because of that, he is great. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our faithful following and devotion to him. Amen? So let's go ahead and stand if you are able. Let's release the shame and let's begin to sing about the greatness of Of our God. Let's continue to worship.
0: Welcome back. Um, I hope you're encouraged to encounter God this week, and I hope that you participated in that activity. And I would challenge you to now take your piece of paper um, and release it, let go of it, release those lies that you were tricked to believe and begin to hold on to God's love as he walks you out of that shame. So I hope you have had in a moment where you encountered God during that message and even throughout your week. I want to remind you uh, again that you are part of this community, and we want to support you. So if you need prayer or anything else, please reach out. Let us know on the Connect card or reach out to one of us directly. But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope God shows up this week, and I hope that he begins to replace your shame with love. Talk to you real soon.